Hi, I'm John. Welcome to my podcast. This is podcast number four of Letters of the Oracle to the Church of the Unknown Christians and the Saints of God scattered abroad around the world. Continuing with the Odyssey, a journey relating to the Chronicle of Two Adams and the Regaining of Paradise. This, of course, is the genealogy of the two most important men on earth that we are looking at. From the book related to this podcast, so when the book is published, it will be available to all of you who would like to have a copy in written form with all, of course, the references and texts related to all the content. So, I hope you're enjoying the revelation and the understanding and the comprehension is coming to you concerning what is the gospel or what the gospel of Jesus really is. <clears throat> Excuse me for the interruptions, but I have to share as I feel directed and led by the Holy Spirit and His anointing. And I pray that your understanding and your comprehension of what is shared will be made clear by God's Spirit. You know, we have been given the Spirit of God that we might know all the things freely given to us by God so that we can understand without struggling over comprehending what he wants us to know. So this podcast today is all about exploring the gospel of Jesus and his realm or kingdom, who we are told has been made both Lord and Christ, and his apostles Peter, Paul, James, Jude and John, who, understanding his gospel of life, love, faith and grace, and the power of the Spirit as his kingdom realm, were made ministers of it, or him, made ministers of him, and so preached and proclaimed it, or him, to the world. Over time, they each wrote their letters, not forgetting Luke, of course, the writer of Acts, counting for the work of the Holy Spirit through the apostles and many disciples, which to me, the book of Acts, is the beginning of the New Covenant, the New Testament, and the development of the body of Christ, the Church of the Living God. There were obviously other apostles, not um, at, at the time, of course. Um, I'm not saying that Peter, Paul, James, Jude, John are the only ones, but they are the main authors of the Lord's post-ascension ministry that we have in what we call the canon of scripture today, the Bible. Not including the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, who were pre-death, resurrection and ascension, 
uh, although giving an account of his life and ministry, the ministry of Jesus of Nazareth, up until his ascension, is the word the Logos being found in flesh in the natural world. And that, of course, was the purpose of him coming as the last Adam and the second man in God's purpose for all of us as his family. Then there's also, of course, Jesus' letter via John to the seven churches regarding different matters pertaining to the churches and the saints scattered abroad. This was to ensure, of course, all understood and that we also understand there is no other gospel but from whom they've preached, having received it firsthand from the Lord Jesus himself, the anointed one. God's second man, God's last Adam. Who incidentally, but unequivocally and totally in God's purpose became the life-giving spirit poured out on all flesh as the Holy Spirit and fire sent from the Godhead. This was so that all people groups on earth can hear from him who speaks directly from heaven by the Holy Spirit, who is also the power to accomplish it all of it, and so fulfill the spoken word in each one of us. This word does not return void of accomplishment to God. And you can refer to Hebrews 2, verse 3, Hebrews 12, verse 25, Isaiah 55, 11. This, of course, is very important because in, in the last podcast we shared about what is obsolete and aged is close to ceasing to exist, meaning, of course, Jerusalem, the temple, and the whole land of Israel, in order for God to, in a sense, kickstart the church in its fullness and scatter the seed abroad to all lands and souls of men, to all nations. As God is now not just concerned with only one nation, the nation of Israel, but with all the nations of the earth. And his whole purpose in Jesus Christ is to make both Jew and Gentile one. As the cross, we will see, removes all the differences between the Jew and the Gentile, or the Israelite and the Gentiles, and makes us one new creation, one new man. One big plus factor to remember as his child is that Godhead invites us into their fellowship. The child cannot invite its father into its life. I want to emphasize this because this is a false narrative that we've been taught for many years that we are to invite God into our lives. It is not so. It is the other way around. The child cannot invite its father into its life. It has no need to. The father has already brought you to birth and into being and he wants to develop you. All of us. In fact, in every instance, the father invites his child to come and participate in his life, 
into his triune life, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, according to his, to his will and purpose. It is known in the Holy Scripture as the calling, or as some translations say, the invitation. The child's number one issue is to obey or not to obey. The beginning, before any created thing, begins in God with the one who is called the beginning and the end, and the first, and the last, the alpha, and the omega, or omega as some say, the top and the bottom, the natural and the spiritual, the descender and the ascender, the first Adam, the first man, and the last Adam, the second man. Nothing begins without him beginning, and nothing ends without him ending. God's thoughts of creation beginning are eternal, and his thoughts of creation ending are also eternal. God cannot think of anything new, as he is the beginning and end of every thought eternally. No one can surprise Godhead about anything, especially the two Adams. This is why God had said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Because there isn't anything greater to think about and nothing new to consider that hasn't already been considered. God cannot make or create anything or anyone greater than himself. If he could, he wouldn't be God any longer. So for God had to say, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness, and then to do it, means there is absolutely no greater love of his life than this. Nothing greater that he could think about or love to do. This, therefore, is the first time, as well as the last time, God has reached his infinite limit of love in what he has ever thought and done eternally as he is eternally the first and the last of anyone, anything, and of any thought. This is why love cannot fail. The most important thing to remember about God is that he has not yet said everything that God had once would like to say and probably never will. This to me is what's so fascinating about our Godhead. What I mean is that God has not spoken nor speaks about everything that he thinks about. To do so is to have them accomplish that for which the word is spoken and sent forth to accomplish. God cannot speak an idle word. So much so, Jesus tells us that even all of us will be required to give an account to God for every idle word we have spoken. This is serious stuff, guys. Matthew twelve thirty six and 37, if you want to look it up. You know, we are going to be judged or measured by our own words, condemned or justified by them, Jesus said. So be careful when you ask God to speak to you, as his word is living, alive, and operative, powerful, and sharper, 
super effectual than any double-edged sword, piercing to the dividing asunder of soul from spirit, and as a discerner, by probing the very thoughts and intents of our hearts. No one can ever take God by surprise, whether in thought or deed. Not even his first child, Adam. So let's make this very clear at this point in these series, in this series. Not even his first child, Adam, took God by surprise. It's impossible for that to happen. Saying that Adam ruined God's plan and purpose for mankind over one disobedient act is nothing but idle chatter of little children who do not know their father's will and purpose. We need to be quick to hear and very slow to speak, especially regarding the things we know little about. Now, I want to make something very clear here. The Bible is not by any means the whole counsel of God. It is only a small portion, which is God's means to an end, to reveal how he brings his progeny into being, to announce to the world of heaven and earth that God is love and he wants a family. The person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Anointed One, whom the Bible speaks about, is the whole and full counsel of God. Did you get that? Jesus Christ, the Logos, the Anointed One, whom the Bible speaks about, is the whole and full counsel of God. We are called to know Him by invitation from the Father. And the Bible is an introduction about Him and reveals God's plan and purpose for us as children. However, the Bible reveals the greatest mystery of all time, unveiled by God in two men. It is the mystery of love, logos, life, faith, grace and truth to produce God's children. This is the genus revealed from Godhead's perspective, the giver, the source. And then life, logos, truth, grace, faith and love from the Father is the genus revealed to our human perspective, the recipients. The expansion of God as God's family regarding both God and the children of God in the multiplying of us as God's children. We shall see that Godhead's multidimensional love always involves logos and life, faith and fire, mercy and long-suffering, grace and truth, discipline and healing, in other words, schooling and discipling by a Father who loves us. Multidimensional love exceeds knowledge, and knowledge it's just information about the fabric of all things. Love is the cause. Love is the purifier. Love is the builder. And it encompasses all and is the keeper, custodian or turnkey of all. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians three seventeen through 19 prayed the following. 
and I'll pray it with you, that you may be in a strong enough position to grasp, along with all the people devoted to God, the width, length, height, and depth of the Anointed One's love, a love that goes far beyond knowledge. Amen. Our Godhead first creates the heavens and the earth, all with us, His children, in mind. This is our universe. Just think of the scope and magnitude of that for a minute or two, in order to facilitate the natural environment for the schooling of Godhead's children. We are his greatest achievement of love before the beginning of all else in himself. Godhead then plants at the appointed time just two seeds in his earthen garden. There is the first seeded son for natural generation at the beginning with a use-by date embedded in it because this one is a purposeful means to an end. And there is the second seeded son for spiritual regeneration at the end or completion of the age of the first one. With this one, the second seeded son is without a use-by date because his seed and all it produces is to encompass, exhibit and express Godhead's eternal, purposeful anthropomorphism which means the embodiment of themselves in the children with all of their splendor and glory. Here the first Adam becomes the last and the last Adam becomes first, just like every seed God plants. Now this is one of the most amazing and inspiring portions of comprehending the gospel and understanding the good news that our Father has given us in expressing themselves in these two entities. First Adam, first man, second man, last Adam. Let me just say this again. This second man... The last Adam is for our spiritual regeneration at the end, completion of the age of the first. This one, the first, had a use-by date. This one, the second, doesn't have a use-by date because this seed and all it produces is to encompass, exhibit and express Godhead's eternal, purposeful anthropomorphism the embodiment of themselves in us, the children, with all of their splendor and all of their glory for eternity, growing and developing us in their eternal measures. It is also a mystery of great importance that the Bible is a compilation of numerous writings, handwritten by different humans, piece by piece, over the course of thousands of years, and then melded into a book of authority, as in godly authorship, on Godhead's genealogy and gospel. It is also used by numerous <coughs> religions and tens of thousands of existing denominations. 
Google tells us currently 33,000 plus and counting. For the past 1600 years or so, the Bible has been respectfully called by Christians around the world the Holy Bible because it is known to contain God's Word. However, to say that everything written therein is the Word, the Logos of God, is another debate in controversy altogether, which we're not going to get into in these podcasts. <clears throat> but this is why there are over 33,000 denominations in Christendom alone, not to mention all the other religions and their common denominators. <clears throat> the comfort the controversy is not over whether God wrote it all because the whole world knows God didn't or whether God said it all and then had men write down what he said because we know God didn't do that either. It is over whether humans, God's children, experience love, logos and life as they dwell on earth all with its human trials, hardships, dis disciplines, blessings, virtues, laws, punishments and rewards, etc. This is from, of and in God who inspired them to write down what they heard, saw, experienced, what they dreamt, discovered, studied, prophesied, related in visions, etc. Just like many of us do today. According to the promise that is revealed in the book of Joel, your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. It's also about themselves. What they each discovered and knew about God and heard from God directly. About themselves also concerning both the good and the bad, the evil and the righteous, the beautiful and the ugly, the angelic and the demonic the benevolent and the wicked, the false and the true, the natural and the spiritual, the godly and the ungodly, the earthly and the heavenly, and the rise and demise of individuals, families, tribes and nations. Yet through it all is the revealed and prophetic word concerning the Messiah bringing a new eternal covenant to reveal to the world called the gospel of the kingdom, his realm, God's realm, the Lord's realm, a kingdom which he said is not of this world. Hence the apostles of Jesus said regarding the Old Testament that all scripture from the time of the account of the first Adam concerning God's and Israel's lineage from Adam, etc., via Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right up to their very present day, is inspired by God or given by inspiration of God, as some translations put it, and is profitable for our learning, our example, our instruction and doctrine. The apostles taught from the Old Testament, as well as preached the gospel from what the prophets prophesied centuries and centuries before Jesus came into all the world. Even though the New, Script, New Testament scriptures themselves had not been compiled, with some still not written when that reference of the apostles was made in the account, it is generally still applied to their own future authorship of the letters and books they would, would write 
and did write. This makes up today's New Testament, consisting of 27 books or letters compiled around 300-400 A.D., Three or four hundred A.D. There are more than twenty-seven letters of bo- or books, but for particular reasons of men by debate, they have been culled out of the present canon called Holy Scripture, or never inserted in the first instance. So, we have what we have today, all being inspired by God, with the ones left out classed as not so much inspired for various reasons, although some are still open to debate. But the reason why I'm bringing this up is because there is something far more important than having a perfect group or canon of scriptures. Scriptures are linked solely to the subject matter of theology being studied or compared for correction, for for, uh, inspiration, for encouragement, etc., etc., and are looked at for their virtue, their merit, their roots, their fruit, politics, etc. And so this may enforce some trying to emphasize the fact that more should be included or some removed, as that some may enforce the continuity of the late Judeo and the current modernity of the Christian Judeo theocracy. But what we have very clearly spells out the good news in the lives of the two Adams, the first man, Adam, and the second man, the last Adam. We need to also understand that the whole portion of the Old Testament, except perhaps Job, has been written by the family's descendants of Jacob, now known as Israel, and due to a name change by God, the God of the living, we're told, with much of it written by Moses, as well as some prophets and kings. And since Jesus the Christ, the last Adam, arrived on earth, and after his death and resurrection, the Hebrew Bible, the Holy Tanakh, pronounced Tanakhs, very soon became a world book. It is the canonical collection of Hebrew scriptures, including the Torah, and has been made available to all nations of this world, eventually including the addition of the current 27 books and letters of the New Testament, making up the Holy Bible. Now, talk about Israel a little bit more here. Only the tribe of Jacob's descendants can naturally, and I'm talking about the natural realm here, be called Israelites due to his name change to Israel in Genesis 32. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are not Jews or Israelites, neither are they ever called Israelites. Abraham is called a Hebrew, which appears to be connected to their language or tongue out of Mesopotamia. They are prehistoric to the tribes of Israel, obviously, but are rightfully claimed as their patriarchs, and are traceable all the way back to Noah, and then from Noah back to the first Adam. Abraham and his father actually come out of Ur of Chaldea, Mesopotamia. Only the natural children or descendants of Jacob can be called Israelites, 
and eventually Jews very late in our history until we get into the New Testament. However, we need to know that not all who call themselves Israelites have descended from Israel or Jacob. Israel as a nation is not made up of only genetically connected humans to Jacob due to the constant intermarriage from other tribes and nations in which Israel lived amongst over hundreds of years. It's very important we understand this. And for more information on this, you can go to https colon forward slash forward slash creation dot com forward slash Israelites dash forging dash of dash a dash nation. Now if you can't write that down, send me an email, I'll send it to you. That's a link that spells this out very clearly. This is very important when looking at the coming of the second man, the last Adam, who told the Pharisees in John 8.58, and I quote, Before Abraham was, I am, unquote. He was having a debate with the Pharisees about who their father was, claiming that they descended from the patriarch Abraham after accusing Jesus he was born in sin, illegitimate according to the law, and not the Son of God. This statement of claim by Jesus indicates who is actually in charge of everything and everyone over all of time and eternity. Very important. Keep in mind this very important statement made at that time by the second man and the last Adam as it is a major key to understanding the gospel of the kingdom and realm of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in our exploration of this great compilation of books and scripts of the Holy Bible, let's put two and two together and see what the Bible says about two very, very important men. In fact, it's about the two most important men for all time, known as the first man and the second man, and the two most important men of our human genus for all eternity, known as the first Adam and the last Adam. Let's look at this in relation to the following six areas from here on, which are explored in more detail within the pages of the book of which these podcasts are following. The Odyssey, a chronicle of the two Adams and the regaining of paradise. So we're going to look at these six areas before time, before any created thing, before mankind ever appeared on earth anywhere, the age of disobedience from the first man, the first Adam appearing, the age of obedience from the second man, the last Adam appearing, and we're going to look at the purpose of paradise, hell and death, and the lake of fire, the second death. And this will clear up the mystery and all of the nonsense that's been put forth over the decades and centuries about these incredible topics, I suppose we would have to say, as people are very interested in what 
is going to happen to them, each one of us. Deep down, no, we need to take a good look at what has been so confusing and so unclear over so many centuries and decades. I believe it's the purpose of God, the will of God, that these things are made known and clearly put forth so that we can come to our Father without fear of anything and listen to him and learn from him. So, given that these two men are so important, we actually have to go way back before the Bible's first words were penned. Right back before anything was created or was ever apparent. Back to the original one and only. Because nothing had yet appeared for the reason that Logos of Godhead had not yet spoken anything into existence. For this, we need to pick up Godhead's dream of having, planning, or creating a family and follow the clues that they've given us of this great compelling mystery and the glorious outworking of their manifold wisdom. This was done through love to bring to birth their children, both you and I, along with all people groups of earth, into a nursery garden centre with a gymnasium and uh, as a school on earth then all the way into paradise and on into eternity. The purpose of this was to educate and advance their full or our full maturation in eternal life, love and eternal truth. This was done and to be done for those who are yet to appear on earth under tests and trials, agony and ecstasy until these ones who are called and chosen before the foundation of the world and whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life, written before the foundation of the world, measure up to the fullness of God their Father, judged or measured against the fullness of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that is, to the perfect, complete man through the anointing, the Christ of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God, in whom the fullness of the Godhead now bodily dwells, as it pleased the Father to place all the fullness of the Godhead in him. Incredible. And that is our destiny. That's what God wants to put in us and is putting in us. Now, I want to take you into another area of uh, pursuing this. I want to talk about things not being as they always appear. As we have heard, so many people talk about things are not always as they appear. And this is so, especially so with God. We talked about God's dream. Now, some dreams are vivid for us and some dreams are vague among humans. And so most of us do our best to interpret our dreams in some form or another. Some dreams are so real to us that when we wake up, it's like we are taking time out or taking a break, so to speak, before we step out of our dream to continue our life. Our dreams to others close to us are for the most part silent and therefore non-existent. They're not viewable or knowable to them. Yet for those of us who have experienced the dream, they're often filled with the loudest of sounds and variable intensity of scenes and action that we believe they are actually real while we are in them. 
The problem we have with these types of dreams is no one else will ever know about them unless we tell them. These dreams, however, are not the kind of dream our God here dreams. God's dream of having a family is well thought out, well planned, well designed, and very deliberate. It is time scheduled and fully orchestrated with nothing left to chance or luck. For God's dream to be comprehended and understood, we are told to not go by what we see in this natural world. There's an old saying often quoted by strong, unapologetic people, which goes like this, What you see is what you get. However, with God, this is never in the first case. With God, the word logos, the speaking, always comes first. As in Revelation 1.3, where there is a repeated imperative that follows each of the seven churches stating, He that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says. In the world, there is another oft-quoted cliché which says, Seeing is believing. But again, this is not so with God. Hearing enables us to believe with God, not seeing. And I quote from Romans, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. It's in 10.17, Romans 10.17. And then look at 2 Corinthians 5.7. And it states, For we walk by faith and not by sight and how does this faith come by hearing the word of god that means we are hearing our father speak to us there's another worldly saying which says a picture paints a thousand words so for example if there were a thousand people seeing the same picture we can assume this one picture is painting a million words a thousand times a thousand equals a million. So, how would you like to listen to the babble of a thousand people sharing their million words of what they each see, when it is all a matter of opinion and every individual believes they are right? This is why eyewitnesses and their accounts can be so controversial. Why is this so? Well, it is all related to one's perspective our perception and comprehension or not of what is actually seen this is then compared with imaginations of what is thought to be seen and then interpreting what has been gathered in our mind to form the final opinion or picture of our newly created thousand word jigsaw if these thousand jigsaws, for instance, were all displayed in an art gallery at the same time, not one would be alike. Yet all will have something of the original image or picture in them. Such are God's children. Don't miss out on knowing your father because of your biased view of what you think you see. I shall explain this via the following short story. This man came up behind and saw a foot and determined it was the foot of a malnourished tramp because it was soiled and thin. He saw a hand 
and knew it belonged to a small and fragile man. He noticed the nails were cut short. He watched the walk and the gait as it wobbled and was deliberately slow. So he looked for a bottle in a screwed-up brown paper bag tucked under his arm. He noticed some long grey twisted hair hanging from under what once was a prestigious cup cap brown brand and thought, just a hippie with nowhere to go. He stayed a couple of metres behind as he didn't want to be asked for some money or means to provide as he pondered, I just, I just need to be wise, just one block to go and I'm home. He hadn't been home for 25 years and was looking forward to seeing his mum, so was surprised when the tramp turned in at the gate of the address he had in his phone. The tramp got to the steps, put down the brown paper bag to pull out the keys in his pocket. He then turned and saw a man at the gate about to pass by. She gave a radiant smile and said to the man by the gate with a voice full of joy, My son is coming home today, and I've just bought him something very precious I know he'll really love. In the story, if the son goes by what he sees, he will miss his mother. If he goes by what he hears, he will discover his mother. So close and yet so far. If you go by what you see, you will miss God, because there is too much to see that will keep turning you away from God. If you go by what you hear, followed by who is speaking, you will discover God, as every child knows its father's, mother's, or carer's voice. It doesn't matter whether they can see or not. Our hearing is omnipresent and multidirectional. Our seeing is linear, even though it may be three-dimensional in our line of sight. We have 360-degree hearing, but not with our seeing. In Revelation chapter 1, we read about John the Apostle, who had to turn, the word for repent, to see the voice that he heard behind him. Natural sight is far more limiting than natural hearing. However, our developing spiritual eyes and ears are omnidimensional and multidirectional, and their development all depends on our growth and our Heavenly Father's wisdom of that which He wants us to hear and see by His speaking and revealing. So, my brothers and sisters, we really owe it to ourselves and to our Father to pay attention to Him. In 2 Corinthians verses, uh, chapter 4, verse 18, it says, We do not keep our eyes on the things that are seen, but we keep our eyes on the things that are not seen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are not seen are eternal. Speaking of Paul in 2 Corinthians 10, verses 10 through 12, we're also told, He says, Someone is saying, his letters are heavy and strong, but in person he's unimpressive, and as a speaker he doesn't amount to much. Let this individual calculate this, he says, that when we arrive we will be the very same people in action as we were in writing. 
in verses 12 through 18 now we don't dare put ourselves in the same class or compare ourselves with those who recommend themselves in measuring themselves by their own standards and comparing themselves with themselves they're showing that they're not very bright and then in Saint Corinthians 5:10 through 21 he says we all must be seen for what we are before the judgment seat of the anointed one that is so that each one of us may receive what we deserve for our time spent in our body in accordance with what we do whether good or careless so then as we know what it means to respect the Lord we persuade people about him and God knows us for what we are and I hope your consciences know you for what you are we're not recommending ourselves to you again but we're giving you a base of operations to be proud about us so that you would have an answer for those who are proud about someone's appearance and not about their mind for if we're out of our minds, it is for God that we're out of our minds. But if we're in the right mind, it is for you that we are in the right mind. It is the anointed one's love that holds us together. Indeed, we have reached the conclusion that because one died for all of us, then all of us have died. He died for everyone, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but should live for him who died and was raised up for them. Consequently, from now on, we don't estimate anyone on the basis of how they are in the natural realm. And although we did come to know the Anointed One on the basis of how he was in the natural realm, in point of fact, we no longer know him on the basis of how he is in the natural realm. And so, if someone is a follower of the Anointed One, they are a brand new, fresh creation. Old things have passed away. Indeed, they have become new. All things are from God, who has restored us to friendship with himself through the Anointed One. God has given us the ministry of restoring people to friendship with him. That is to say, God restored the world to friendship with himself by means of the anointed one not holding people's blunders against them and he entrusted us with the message of restoration to friendship with him therefore we are the anointed one's ambassadors paul's saying it is as if god were encouraging you through us on behalf of the anointed one we earnestly ask you to be restored to friendship with god God made the anointed one who did not know sin become sin on our behalf so that because of him we would all become right with God. And then God's dream in a nutshell is this. His dream is deliberate, well thought out and well designed as mentioned. So according to Acts 17 verses 24 through 31 it says god who made the world and everything in it is the lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples made by people nor is he provided for by people as if he needed anything in fact 
He's the one who gives life, breath, and everything else to all people. From one human, he made all races of people that live on the face of the earth, and he appointed the seasons for them, and he set the boundaries so that they would seek God and possibly would grope their way to him and find him. And in fact, he is not far from each one of us, for because of him we live and move, and all of us have our being, as certain ones of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. So then, since we are God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something crafted by art and human design. So then, on the one hand, in past times, God overlooked such ignorance. But on the other hand, in the present, he now commands all people everywhere to change their minds. He has set up a day on which he will judge the world with justice by the man whom he has ordained. He has provided all of us with assurance of this by raising him from among the dead. I want you to note here that Paul is talking about the first and last Adam, the first and second man. This is not a religion. This is God's family. God did not start a religion. He started a family via the only begotten Son of God revealed in two manifestations. First the natural and then the spiritual. And you can read about all of that in 1 Corinthians 15. The first Adam, the Son of God, chosen and designated by God, to be the first seed after its kind is placed in paradise in the garden of God, the garden of Eden, out of heaven on earth, with his body formed from the dust or clay of the earth. But he was expelled via disobedience to begin the natural earthly kingdoms of the natural world in his default, default state of disobedience. When God the Father asked him to rise and shine, Adam, the Son of God, the first man, knew he couldn't. Not at that time, because he had already been shown by Godhead how he would further descend for the sake of all God's children. Instead, he bowed to the first disobedience, the dark side of freedom with its unknowns, and died to the heavenlies and the glory of God. This was an antithesis, a converse, opposite world that took us all with him in him his natural seed the planting of the lord the one who said except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die it abides alone john 12:24 he first descended far below all the natural seed planting to fill the natural earth with god's seed as planned by god he is the very Son whom God had designated, co-responsible for the lowering of all creation at the appointed time. It's found in Romans 8, verses 16 through 39. He is the beginning, and he was also chosen and designated to shoulder the co-responsibility to raise it all into paradise in the fullness of time at the end and completion of the natural age. This was prophesied by, by Isaiah, who said, quote, The government shall be upon his shoulder. Unquote. That's Isaiah 9 6. 
and according to the will of the Godhead of all creation, he is the one responsible to take dominion, kingdom rule with his family over every living and inanimate thing, as our Godhead declared long before his body, loaded with Godhead's seed, was formed of the dust or clay of the earth. Read that in 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 58. Adam must first learn to have dominion and rule over himself, as must all his seed, before he can take on the cons- the before he can take on the custodianship of the entire creation as the family of God. <clears throat> the last Adam, the Son of God, is born into this natural world, born amidst its earthly kingdoms, and arose to the first obedience, the life and light side of freedom, and lived, as described in John 1, 1 to 4. Regaining paradise to begin the kingdom of heaven, which he said is not of this world. So he brought the spiritual world onto earth by taking earth's people into heaven by the regenerated spirit to sit with him in the heavenly places, we are told, after preparing the way for all the souls and spirits of humans to enter paradise. When God the Father asked him to rise and shine, he did, and brought us all with him, in him, now his spiritual seed, he that ascended far above all, full growth and complete development, the bursting bloom of the full flower fruit and glory for a new dissension, eventually to a new earth and heaven. Second Peter three thirteen, Revelation three twelve, twenty one one through two, twenty two nineteen after first Corinthians fifteen, twenty through twenty eight is fulfilled. Now, you need the book to look at all these scriptures. I'm not going to read them all. But he is the first man, the first Adam, with a natural temporary form, the first natural seed pot on earth, containing an embryo, the offspring of God's soul. As an embryo, it begins in ignorance and needs a world in which to compare and learn by observation, reason, intellect, logic, and vast experience of trial and error. This is for the purpose of growth and development which our God had planned before any created thing and fully provided for in a world without end. He is also the second man, the last Adam, with the spiritually born eternal reality, the first natural seed pot on earth containing the fullness of God's Spirit, the anointing, the one who knows all things. In Acts chapter 2, 29-36, Peter explains... And I quote, fellow believers, let me speak freely and openly to you. The patriarch David wasn't talking about himself here. He's dead and buried and his tomb is among us until this very day. So then, as he was a prophet from the beginning and he knew that God had promised him that God would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw this. He spoke about the resurrection of the anointed one. He said that his soul would not be left in Hades, nor would his body rot and decay. This was Jesus. God has raised them up and we're all witnesses to it. So then as he is in the highest place at God's right side, the Father gave him what he had promised, the Holy Spirit, to pour out on all of us. The pouring out of the Holy Spirit is what you now see and hear. 
So David wasn't the one who went up to the heavenly places. David himself says, The Lord said to my master, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let the whole house of Israel know for sure that God has made this Jesus, the one you crucified, both Lord and the Anointed One. Romans 5.18 it says, Therefore, as by the offence of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so, by the righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men unto justification of life, eternal life. And in 1 Corinthians 15.21 we are told, For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. All that the first Adam lost in death, the last Adam regained in resurrection. Remember the Lord's story about the ninety and nine sheep? He, the shepherd, lost the lamb. The lamb did not lose the shepherd. So being responsible for all the one hundred sheep which he had numbered, he went and found the lost sheep and regained his whole flock by his love for them and his duty of care. God is not willing that any should perish. So he left the ninety-nine in the fold and went after the one and only one, you. This is clear evidence beyond doubt that the individual is far more important to God than men have ever dreamt. He will never let you go. As for the Godhead's eternal value of individuals, it is clear to them, the Godhead, and contrary to human opinion, that the whole is never greater than the sum of its parts, and neither is it equal to the sum of its parts. But each part stands alone, without sum, S-U-M, when filled with all the fullness of God, with the glory and splendor of God, being our union and oneness, as all are of one source and of one expression, from the same lump of clay, of Godhead, the eternal source of everyone and everything eternal. The last Adam not only regained the lost to bring them into his paradise fold, but he provided glorious extras and splendorous additions, granting many humans the opportunity to experience the fullness of Godhead in the reality of the truth. This was by direct connection of spirit in the anointing Christ, who knew not by observation or by rote, or by desk learning, but by experience and trial for love and glory. This was revealed and shared by our Heavenly Father through our Lord Jesus Christ, the last Adam, the only begotten Son of God, who manifested as the first Adam, the first man, and the last Adam, the second man, all for the purpose of bringing us, you and I, to birth in two realms, for our complete growth and development, for the love and glory of God and man. He is the beginning, and he is the and he is also the end and completion. This ends my fourth podcast. Please join me on the next one where we look at the lives and times of the two Adams, known as the Son of God.